One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed, and this particular episode of the Four Center podcast feed is a deep dive. We're going to dive deep into something we're calling the bravery of Rogue One. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Ken Napsack, and I am here for this revisit of this movie, but also digging a little bit deeper into what it accomplished and what it did, and it gave me a chance to watch it, which meant I ended up crying on my couch. What a journey. Can't wait to dive in. <laughs> I like prepping for podcasts by crying on the couch. A lot of podcast prep has been done at that place and in that way. And that's a great tradition. 
but before we get into uh, crying on the couch, we want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, we are recommending Victories Price by Alexander Freed. Third book in the Alphabet Squadron trilogy. We'll be discussing it on this very show uh, a week from the release of this episode. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. Give a listen to Victory's Price and then give a listen to us discussing it. But Ken, we do have another offer. There is Another Inside Editions publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books is offering 35% off across their website with a special Force Center code. To get your discount, enter the coupon code FC35 or visit the website with this link, InsideEditions.com slash discount slash FC35. This week, we're recommending the upcoming Inside Editions book, Star Wars Galactic Baking Due on May 4th. So check it out with FC35. 35. We love Inside Editions. We really do. They produce a lot of those books. They're just kind of, they represent us as Star Wars fans. Like, yeah, we want the narrative. We want the, but I also want a book of lightsabers. <laughs> I want a book of brownies inspired by Star Wars. Like, it, it's really why we're here. For Star Wars fans, uh, a 360 view of this franchise we love. And so we're happy to support uh, Inside Editions as well. That's right. And you know what? I can't wait until they put out a book called Star Wars Lightsaber Baking, which is just how to bake with an actual <laughs> yeah. lightsaber because they're real. I'm sure. Yes. yes. <laughs> Do that. it. Do it, Inside Editions. All right. We are going to dive into this topic because there's a lot of fun stuff uh, to discuss. Uh, the reason this kind of floated in my mind, we were talking about uh, what we wanted to talk about, and I got to thinking about how, you know, we have in, in Star Wars fandom, but also just kind of in the in the general culture of anybody who is a fan of movies or the entertainment world, even from the creative perspective or even from the kind of uh, producing perspective, which franchises are going good and why this big discussion of the Disney era Lucasfilm era and its level of risk taking the conversation often skips over Rogue One, and in particular, the choice to slaughter almost all of the characters and then sell action figures of them. So that made me want to take a look back at Rogue One, the big choice of killing the main characters, and how we feel about those uh, characters. Are they going to be Star Wars classics? Are they going to feature in uh, more future storytelling? Obviously, we know Cassian Andor is, but uh, some of the other characters... Uh, their futures are up for discussion, which is what we're going to do. So, Ken, here's wh- where I want to start on this. In yeah. general, I think Rogue One might be the most liked, least controversial uh, Star Wars films of Disney-era Lucasfilm. It's certainly like the uh, the film that I feel the safest to mention on social media <laughs> without worrying about people, you know, you know, responding with vitriol. Opinions are fine the way you express them i i uh, think we need to be careful with so that we do not lead uh, by our anger but rogue one i feel like if i tweeted about uh, rogue one i wouldn't be worried about getting angry responses i might get opinions but not angry responses uh, do you think yeah. that's true do you agree with that and if so why do you think that is well let's test it right now i'm gonna bring up my twitter <laughs> now um yeah i do i do think you're right and i think that's that's over time because um, it, it, it's it's a pretty simple, straightforward movie, and it ties into the classic era. A lot of 
people love. So you're going to bring in a lot of those type of fans. And then it has the high concept, big set piece kind of action stuff going on that brings in just kind of those kind of casual fans. And, and I think among my circle of, of film people, which is sometimes a circle I try to jump out of the plane from, but uh, they generally too say that about this movie. Ah, that's my favorite one. Ah, that's the best of the era, which again are their valid opinions. And that's what I love about Rogue One. It does pull you all in. Um, I, I think back to that when it came out, there were some, you know, there, that's where the, you know, one of the ones that drives me crazy with the, the ATSD, ATSD and the, oh, it's just dumb nostalgia, that kind of stuff that, that, that was going around. And I, I hear that less about this movie, uh, which is going to happen again, time and other, other projects. Last Jedi comes along and it says, uh, Hey, we got some stuff for you here to chew on. Uh, so just kind of. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think that there is something powerful about Rogue One because it does kind of have something for everyone, you know? Um, yep. If you're wanting to watch a movie with kind of heart and drama and you don't know a lot about Star Wars, we even had that experience, one of our viewings, that we went uh, with a mm -hmm. friend of yours and their partner yeah. didn't really know Star Wars that well and was not at all hung up about uh, Ponda, Baba, and Dr. Evazan, you know, or exactly yeah. when in the time period... The, the person we were there with didn't seem to understand or care about any of that and was just like I really related to Jen I saw what she was going through so it was it, there's something yeah. about Rogue One that gets past all of that uh, uh, Star Wars discussion and it's just a, a successful story of, of heart and drama and family and tragedy um, you know if you want a great action thriller war movie it's got some great action set pieces it's got you know that third act probably one of the longest sustained you know battle scenes in a yeah. star wars film um and then i think if you want politics that uh resonate as a larger discussion of politics that you can relate to the real world uh, don't relate to the real world uh, you know it came out in a timely uh at a time when people were paying more attention to real world politics but it does have this these very real world political discussions mm -hmm. and arguments so i think there's a power in it that any movie you can watch through different filters, but Rogue One really invites itself to be seen through uh, several different specific filters that would make people go, that's what I want out of a Star Wars movie. Yeah, and you're right. It, it came out, you know, of its time, uh, very much so, and, and, and sparked a lot of uh, conversations around, like I said, the real world politics and inspired people in, in a, in a real, very real way, and, and, and that's part of its legacy, too, and... and uh, yeah, and I'm glad it did that. I'm glad a Star Wars film did that. Yeah, yeah. I think a couple other things for me, which is less my opinion and more of what I've heard people say, is you know the fact that it does have a diverse main cast, and for uh, mm -hmm. some of the characters, it was the first time that people were getting to see or hear themselves in Star Wars, and I think that is mm -hmm. uh, a big, big part of it. And then the last one for me, for the way that the reason that people might really hold Rogue One up is it does just if a big part of star wars to you is does it look and sound cool <laughs> the design yeah. of rogue one is just deeply aesthetically pleasing right the uh literally designed stuff from ewing uh shore troopers my favorite trooper tie strikers like my favorite mm -hmm. variation on a tie uh those are personal to me but like vader's castle the you know the shot of the um the firing mechanism being inserted into the Death Star. Just there's a ton of just uh, visual and sound, just beauty. Uh, Vader's mm -hmm. castle, you know, in this film. Yeah, a, a big thing for that, and 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 
uh, and talking about the look, uh, we can dig into it a little bit more if we want, but just like this in solo, I, I will say as much as I love seven, eight, nine, I, they, they're, and they're shot beautiful, right? I mean, episode eight, I think you could hang most of that movie on a wall and it would, it would really make sense. And I love some of the choices in nine too, but I, I just love the look of Rogue One and solo a little bit more. Uh, solo is my favorite shot star Wars film and Rogue One's right there with it and watching it again this week, uh, getting ready for this. Like it just, it just, it, it felt like I what I thought new Star Wars would be like. Oh, we get to we get to tell some more Star Wars stories with modern filmmaking tactics and, and tech. And 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 Rogue One's probably what I would have dreamed up, you know, on two thousand the day in two thousand twelve when we heard more stuff was coming. Yeah, yeah. Like there's just a lot of like that feels a little bit more uh, handheld, a little bit more cinema verite, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, and just and look again, we are coming out of the prequel era. I love him, hate him, whatever. You know, George shot those in a certain way, and and, and some of the. Th- some of the things are groundbreaking. Some of them are maybe of its time. And I think Force Awakens was definitely very real, too, even though it had more CGI shots than those movies, right? But you know, Rogue One would have been like, oh, yeah, you could, I could feel the dirt on the Stormtrooper. Like, that kind of stuff is all through that movie. Yeah, yeah. And the, that, the, the grit of it is definitely something I think a lot of people are drawn to from the story to the, the visuals, right? I mean, uh, almost every character yeah. is literally kind of uh, beat up and has... <laughs> you know, there's very besides Leia in her classic white gown. There's very few people, uh, you know, who are pristine. It is a gritty film. People going through hard things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you and I have both had some criticisms of the film over the years. Uh, I think particularly you and I are aligned with a feeling like there's some different things that we might have wanted out of the second act, but we both ultimately love this uh, movie. Why do you think it is that the what does the movie do that so successfully overcomes any of our uh, criticisms or concerns? Yeah, I, I think it, I, I had that in mind uh, and knowing some stuff we're going to discuss today and, and, and watch, watching Rogue One yesterday. And it's funny because I, I was doing a little, doing some chores. I was uh, unpacking an iRobot to start cleaning my floor and I was sending out some Patreon exclusive posters over on my own personal page. And I just I was like, oh, I'll put on, I should put on Rogue One. And then I ended up just stopping and just watching the film. And I, this was one of the things in mind. I think, despite some of my personal uh, criticisms of the second act, and all, and some to summarize those criticisms, just I wish I had a little bit more time. And I think you move to some of the big po- plot points quick. But here's the thing: you and I, you and I know from writing things over the years, Joseph, and, and particularly a movie like this where a lot of lot of cooks might have gotten in the kitchen at one point. Sometimes you have one line to get across a character's relationship. Sometimes you have one scene to show here's what's at stake. And there's a, and Rogue One has a lot of that. And despite any of those limitations that might be in the classic uh, big picture Hollywood filmmaking style, it leads, it all leads to some really emotional points. And it all leads to a spectacular battle. And it all leads to just uh, real big Star Wars themes. And so I think that's why I never super got held up on it, particularly after a couple more viewings. Um, but just, you know, it all builds so well. Uh, for better or worse, it builds to something great. Yeah, I I really agree with that. I think for me that you know when I watch it now, I just I- enjoy it um, and mm-hmm. just kind of put the criticisms aside, which I think is is a choice you can make. You know, you can watch something as every time I watch it, I'm going to you know check that that box. And in my personal opinion, this is I think this should have been. I, I wish it had been like this. Or you can just let it go mm-hmm. and watch it. And, and sometimes I watch it with a little more critical lens and sometimes I just go along with the ride. But for me, I think it, it is amazing that the film holds uh, together as well as it does with all of the, um, 
different drafts and the what it was reportedly major rewrites, uh, uh, reshoots. Um, every once in a while, I can kind of feel it pulling in slightly different directions. The main thing for me, the second act, um, I just would have really liked a little bit more bonding uh, between the characters to build to that moment where they all decide to uh, stand by Jin. Um, individual relationships are there. You know, Jin and Cassian's conflict is uh, in their, uh, uh, both what separates them and how they come together is really clear and really great. Um, but I would have loved just like a little bit more of the the group on a mission together in the second act to just put them through a little bit of that torture test that bonds people. Um and also, like I think your example of you got one line to do it, there always there feels to me sometimes from a writerly way of like there is room in these scenes to go just a little deeper on yeah. uh, Chirrut and Bays and Bodhi mm-hmm. in particular. And uh, as criticisms go on on Force Center here, often <laughs> they are mm-hmm. the very light criticism of this character is great. I wish we could have got a little more of that, this character, a little more of this idea. And that is the thing that, that sits with me of like, uh, you know, we, uh, we talk about star Wars as being tip of the iceberg a lot. And I think this is one of those few times where like, that's not enough of the tip. <laughs> just, yeah, just a little bit more of the iceberg, uh, I think would have gone mm-hmm. a long way. And, and like, for me, the, the biggest thing is, um, I, I delight in the weirdness of the Borgullet. Uh, it, it is one of the only things in the film that is kind of weird and fantasy-like. The rest of it is all in the kind of the grit in the war and the tech side of Star Wars. The more, you know, is realistic as, you know, a giant floating death ball like the Death Star can be a little bit more on the uh, real side. Borgullet's one of the weird fantasy, you know, a strange squid tentacle creature that can tell your fears and drives you mad, uh, you know, uh, by sucking on your brain. Uh but it just it it does that to Bodhi. A weird implication to me that maybe Saw does that to himself sometimes for some reason. And then <laughs> by Borgullet, like I think I just feel like uh Borgullet is the the Chekhov's gun of Rogue One that doesn't go off. <laughs> and you think it, it poor Borgullet perished there, right? No. Yeah, yeah. So for me, just uh share want to share those things because we do try to be um we try to be clear that we say Force Center is a positive uh, podcast in that when we share criticisms, uh, we just share them and we don't express them in an angry way. Um, yep. So we do have criticisms sometimes, and, and those are some of mine. But my basic reaction to Rogue One is just utterly loving it, despite those few things. And I think it is because of uh, what I always think of is that the baton of hope becoming something literal, yeah. right? that yeah. uh, Galen is is forced into making this choice, but he creates this thing that's this little bit of hope, this little bit of redemption with, within building this monstrosity. And he, he passes it to Bodhi, and Bodhi, you know, gets it uh, to Saw, and then our heroes get it, but then it's ephemeral, it's not real. So they have to go and, and physically get the, the plans from Scarif, which are real, concrete, uh, you know, symbol of this hope. And even then we go into this whole uh, baton sequence within the battle that it takes all of our our heroes making these these desperate links of uh, connect this cable, turn on this switch, climb this tower, hit this button. And then even then it goes to the literal hallway of now. Now the hope is physical. It's real. And Vader, uh, the symbol of darkness is clutching at this hope and it ends up where it needs to be at the end. There's something so one way that's like really complicated in another mm-hmm. perspective. It's so simple of just 
this tiny flicker of hope surviving in this really dark world. And that idea really draws me to Rogue One and, and gets past any other minor criticisms. And I think the reason that that works, because if I just described to someone, I want to see a film that's about a baton of hope, that would maybe sound like a little a little yeah. uh, cloying and a little uh, saccharine, a little simple. But I think one of the other great powers of Rogue One is it is such a clear depiction of people leading lives that are so oppressed that it's mm-hmm. worth risking their lives. That that is, yeah. of course, the choice. Um, and that is that state in the galaxy that situation is implied by the original trilogy it's definitely horrible when the Death Star blows up Alderaan but the original trilogy is a little bit more focused on individual feelings and you know mm-hmm. the big galactic stakes this is down in the dirt we feel the truth of the Empire's evil yeah I, I was how it, how it just kind of syncs up and connects so well to New Hope is is, is New Hope being literally this new hope, but not just in the in the story, but for an entire generation of film goers in the seventies and everything there, and 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 for this movie to, it, it's not just hey here's the backstory. It just, it feels very real, and everything you said about what these characters lose and what they know they're giving up is so so big um, that it just it makes the joy of a new hope even that much more vibrant for me. Yeah, and I think I think maybe there's something about like. Um we see ourselves in Leia, mm-hmm. Luke, Han, you know, we, we imagine ourselves having their, their actions, but the, these characters are really like, they're just leading their lives. They're just, yeah. you know, they aren't the best pilot in uh, the galaxy. You know, they aren't uh, the children of destiny. They're just people. Yep. No chosen one uh, roaming around this landscape. Well, technically one. <laughs> yes. Yes. They're just uh, people who choose to choose themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so it was the first of the standalone films. It introduced tons of new characters, uh, but it also has Darth Vader, Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, Tarkin, Leia, several cameos, and it does plot-wise serve as a super direct prequel to A New Hope. What is that balance like for you? Ultimately, does it feel like something different, something standalone? Uh- yeah, yes and no. And we've talked, we, we've had some four center discussions on this, right? On Solo and, and Rogue One, do they truly stand alone? And in many, many ways, they, they, they do. You know, I, do you have to, do you have to have seen episode four to, to fully appreciate this movie? It's a question I'll never get to answer because there's no <laughs> way I'm going to sit that way. Uh, you mentioned our viewing, even our, our friend uh, Ryan, the old uh, camera guy at uh, Screen Junkies, if everyone, anyone remembers Handsome back in the day, that was uh, who Joseph's talking about, and his, his uh, partner Daisy, like, she wasn't familiar with Star Wars, but she knew it, right? And and so did the, could the movie truly stand alone? I, 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 I don't know, but this does feel like something different. It does feel the most adult Star Wars maybe we've gotten so far, maybe some moments of Mando, you know, you could factor into that conversation too, but... So the, to reiterate what I was talking about earlier, just like the, you mentioned grit and the dirt and the grime, and this is a little of the, it's, it's, it's the, the dirtier parts of Star Wars flowing nicely into New Hope in a, in a very different way that doesn't dis, dis, distract from New Hope. It doesn't, uh, doesn't destroy much for me in New Hope, and, and it only adds to it. But now just, again, it, it makes it feel more vibrant. But um, it, it, it feels like its own thing that it's very much in this universe for me. Yeah, I think there is something 
uh, for me, you brought up that great point that coming right off of Force Awakens, there was, uh, and sometimes still is that criticism of, uh, oh, we, we got to see Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazen. You know, we mm-hmm. got to see all these uh, known characters. We can't get far away from the Skywalker saga. That Those criticisms are there from from fans who really, really want something totally standalone, totally different. But I think for me, the reason that that lands so strong is because despite all these connections to what has been it all of it is from this new perspective right the mm-hmm. fact that it is yeah it's the uh, rebels fighting the empire but it's you know rogue one is it, you know it's kind of it's not literally the pilots but it is you know you go to that briefing scene in a new hope it's like it's all these people <laughs> it's yeah. their story you know it is it's a grittier it's more desperate uh, there is less of the fantastic uh just in terms of like there are there are fewer creatures there aren't as much weird tech it's i mean the actual tech that gets it to um that gets the plans up to the ships is like you know it's like a cable guy came out right yeah (laughs) you know restore the wi-fi you know it's the star wars version restore the wi-fi it's not wampas it's not monsters in ice caves and being frozen in carbonite it's not uh, murder bears uh, lurking in ancient forests, you know, it yeah, doesn't yeah. have anywhere near as much of that fantastic. And I think that aesthetic uh, is what really makes it feel extremely different. And that aesthetic ties to the fact that it is, uh, you know, it's a really different story. It's it's a heist. It's a war. It's a political thriller. It's a found family drama. It's all things that you could see in other parts of Star Wars, but it yeah. is really pulling out those details and and celebrating them and giving them a different tone. Yeah, look, I, I still think anything Star Wars has to feel, look, sound, and and kind of be connected to some part of the center of the Star Wars galaxy and story. I, I'm a big fan of Thai food. I've never walked into a Thai restaurant and been like, hey, let me see your pizzas. I just don't, I don't, sometimes I, I get the nostalgia pull and you can use it incorrectly or you can use it better than other places. I, I totally get that conversation. But I just, I love that we get to see these characters like love. We get to examine a little bit behind the power struggle over the death star itself and all these things that I, I know and love and, and that we get to kind of revisit them in a new way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it is revisit some things we know in a new way. You know, it is seeing the politics, uh, the petty politics uh, behind the death star uh, seeing, you know, sometimes we kind of poke fun at the Mustafar castle scene for being a uh, uh, half absolute horror show and half business meeting but we do get that really interesting political thing of the empire has not wiped the senate away yet and so they still have to come up with cover stories of it as a mining accident you know uh to keep the the death star secret until the right moment uh so it is new approaches even vader right vader could easily be one of those targets for like uh star wars is not one to try anything new one of the most famous icons of star wars is all over this but we get to see his weird castle. He does have a business meeting and then he has the unleashed hallway scene. We are seeing Vader in ways that we haven't seen him before for the most part. Yeah, it's great. We had a great way to look at it there. Um, absolutely. And he gets to make some, you know, some good, some good jokes. It's like, <laughs> Annie, didn't the yeah, that, that is a conversation that we've had before and I, I should not, I shall not uh, re-engage on the, uh, <laughs> on the Vader pun today. Uh, I'm glad that, uh, that people enjoy it. Uh, Last thing for me about why it does feel different, even though it has these moments of huge connection to the Skywalker saga, I I think all the themes are 
and ideas can be connected to many points in Star Wars. But because it's a really different story with a different focus and a different structure, I don't think there's as many moments of direct Star Wars poetry. Um, like, I feel like that the direct Star Wars poetry, you know, people have made fun of the Lucas quote, but uh, the, the Skywalker saga, those nine films, that is, to me, a part of their journey on, yeah. on is a choice. It's not an accident that there are moments between Ray, Anakin, and Luke that, you know, rhyme, or moments between Kylo and Han that rhyme, you know, and there are some fans who don't like that, who, who that, seeing that more direct Star Wars poetry, those rhyming lines, I think are what contribute to that feeling like it's, that it's not doing uh, enough new things. And then Rogue yeah. One, I think really offers like, there are those thematic connections, but not direct, is direct moments of rhyming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, sorry, sorry, my mind went to another spot. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. Again, again, this goes to sim- just breaking down simple things. Of that's why you know, no, no lightsaber hero, no, no, you know, the fate of the galaxy is dealt with in a much more real way, and so, so it's gonna, st- it's a little stanza in the poem, but on the outside, in the margin. Yeah, yeah, a little. It's a middle. If, if one thing in terms of a song, it's a good middle eight. <laughs> yeah a little interstitial yeah great mm-hmm. great um so several years on how does the big choice to kill the main characters sit with you do you still like it does it give the film uh its power i i think it it does i mentioned up top i'm not i'm not lying it's i, I had a lot of tears in my eyes uh, yesterday watching this film and in a great way and this is why sometimes i can admit to being a little over the years and this podcast or other shows I've been a part of and being one of those quote positive Star Wars people. And, and, and generally everyone really appreciates that and gets what we do here at Star Wars. But I sometimes get real defensive when it's used against me, sometimes in personal conversations with people I used to work with. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's real. And I've lived this story. I've lived this thing. And, and Rogue One now represents to me like literally – 40 plus years of, of cheering on the rebels against the empire and, and learning a little bit more of what that cost truly is and where it came from. And so I'll start here, Joseph, excuse me, sorry, sorry if I'm going a little uh, out, out of left field mm. to go back onto your question. Go, here. go wherever you want to uh, take a yeah. long journey. Yeah. Well, so I, I, I highlighted on a spotlight star Wars a couple of years ago, the, the, the return of the Jedi novelization uh, written by James Caan, not that one, the other one, um, and, and and Mon Mothma, the description of Mon Mothma in 1983 could easily be used as a treatment for Star Wars Rebels and for a, a part of the treatment for Rogue One. It, it, it's all there and it comes from George's mind and, and put down in, in, the, in the novelization form about who Mon Mothma was, but also what the rebellion was and how they needed her and they needed a leader and, and the idea of let's rebel a great concept that we're, we just accepted in 77 and moved on with, right? We overlooked it. And again, this is in the book in 1983. It's there that it's like the infighting, the different thoughts on how to do it and how you have to come together and what that really means. And, and you always say, you know, Noah Jabal, <laughs> rebellion's dead. There's nothing we can do. It's a great scene. But so to take that all into this movie and to finally show me, I'm talking about little Kenny. Uh, to that, that the 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 victory in Return of the Jedi was so earned on so many levels. This is why I I, I talk about the sigh of Akbar uh, in Return of the Jedi during that battle when they take out the the Super Star Destroyer. Of just like we didn't just do it today, we've done it for the last twenty years. 
And this was, we, I, we were so close to not being at this point. We still got to finish the job. And this movie represents that. And I was thinking specifically about the power of, of taking the main characters and killing them off one by one. Seems like, yeah, you know, you, you by the time K2SO dies, the moment it happens, I remember a lot of us in the theater were like, oh, wow, they might do this, right? But mm-hmm. well, I guess the droid might be, that's the easy one to kill off. Everyone else can go off into the sunset. Um, but no, it, it, it builds and builds and builds. I, I was so moved by the beginning, the opening with little Jin Erso and Saw Gerrera comes in and says, hey, come, come, the journey, you know, journey's long, whatever the line is. And, and we know Saw, but you see him in that moment and, he, you know, he's, his hair isn't crazy. His voice is still his voice, but he's not broken. He's not breathing. And when you see him later on, to me, for we know as a fans what he's lost, what he's given up. But you just see in that moment this broken man in pieces and, and he's still trying to fight. And he's and you already know about Mon Mothma giving that sideways glance to Draven and everyone like, yeah, Sagarez has caused some problems for us. And and it all comes down. And and so you see Saw to me represents literally the giving up of yourself for this goal and, and all that you've lost and how you are broken and you're ripped into pieces. It is what Cassian Andor is thinking when he shoots Tivik. It is what Jyn Erso maybe doesn't hesitates to join. It's all those things, and 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 K2SO being choice over programming, all those kind of things, and it all fl- flows into this is Admiral Radis of the Rebel Alliance, and why coming at a light speed and the Rebel Alliance going, we're here and we're going to fight, makes me cry, and it makes me just chills because it's forty years of my fandom going. This is what this is the the stuff I acted out on the playground was built on all these debates and these arguments and these infightings and these secret whispers of go kill Urso why you're you're actually being sent to you know your missions to save him or it, it's all there and 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 to see it each character represents something that they're giving up. I love the Bodie Rook one because he's just a work a day man trying to make it right. And 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 talk about the second actor, you know, you you talked about I wish a scene had one or two more beats sometimes. The Bodie Rook one where he says, get, 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 and, and, and Rizamed plays, I love that he, he kind of makes him this high anxiety, kind of stumble, you know, he, he's just kind of, he's, he's that nervous energy he has. And, and how he's just kind of says, you know, Galen said, I, I, I can make things right. And how that's driving him. And when he does make it right, he's calm. He's not, uh, you know, there's a little bit of the, the, the stutter step and his voice is gone. And that's his final moment. And it, the, he doesn't get to go home to his family. He made it right for on a bigger level on a bigger scale and, he, and it cost him and this movie represents that piece by piece by piece and that that's what moves me now and that's why i think it's powerful yeah i i think that everything you're saying it reminds me of this idea that uh in a new hope this is what leia knows this is the truth of the rebellion that leia is carrying that Luke just kind of knows is an idea far away that he's he's not a part of yet, and that Han is trying his best, like many of the characters in Rogue One initially, to just look away from it, not his problem. Mm-hmm. He knows how bad the Empire is. He's known since he was a child, you know? Right. But it's not his problem. And the fact that this takes us in, in takes that away from, from just being ideas to being huge truths experienced by really relatable characters that we that we get to know and yeah even if i kvetch if i'd like to know him better we do we do get it and that's why the the film works so much and seeing i think to me the reason the deaths are so effective and and matter so much is not just the like okay well you know we don't want to explain where they why they weren't around during you know a new hope it, it's that idea that this is something worth sacrificing for 
because the alternative is utter galactic oppression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who would I be if I looked away from that? And uh, I think that is that runs through almost all the characters' stories of uh, on what level do they accept that? When do they accept that? Why do they accept that? Uh, you know, there there's personal reasons that they're making their choices, but it's also just the the picture of this is the truth of the galaxy. This is how awful the empire is, and it's not a debate. It, it's not a thing that you need to do. A, you know, a listicle of all of their bad actions. Mm-hmm. They've built a giant gun to point at the galaxy. And if you don't do exactly what they say, they're going to eradicate you. And the fact that we get to see on one hand, I, I go on about Noah Jabell and I make jokes about him, but yeah. it's just so powerful to have a, a real person like him who is upset enough with the empire who says, sure, uh, I will help build this alliance. Uh, and then when it really comes to pulling the trigger and doing something, he can't allow himself to believe that something as awful as the Death Star is real. I believe his line is, Death Star, this is nonsense. Mm-hmm. And it gets to that the heart of that, that really real human thing. When you get confirmation that something truly, truly awful, horrific is going on, that we all have that temptation to be a Noah Jabal and go, it's not that bad. It can't right. be that, you know? And the counter argument that's made by our heroes is if we don't do, it is that bad. I don't want to deal with it <laughs> to a no. one. They don't want to, but it's true. And if they don't deal with it now, it will haunt them forever. And, you know, both, uh, both as people, and also just as, you know, this is the time to make a difference because we won't be able to make a difference later. We're really at that tipping point. Um, and, and it's great as a Star Wars story. It's a great, if you want to apply it to any uh, real world history, it's great if you want to apply it just to, you know, our own journeys as people, you know, mm-hmm. of looking at choices you're making in your life and you don't want to, you know, admit that you are making choices that are that bad and you want to say, that's nonsense. I don't have that problem. And then these heroes who go, no, it's, it's, it's awful, but we have to look it right in the face and we, and we have to deal with it now. Yeah. Noah Jabel. Noah Jabel. Don't be a Noah Jabel. Yeah, no, but I love that. I love that sequence. And I, I remember, you know, and look, Rogue One benefits a lot from the supplemental material. And that's, yes. and that could, sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing, but I, I choose to celebrate it now because Guess what? I don't have to to say, well, I didn't read the book because I read all the Star Wars books. So guess what? I'm going to allow myself to reap that little benefit. Catalyst and everything. That that opening sequence has so much more weight if you do know their history. And but I think it's there. It's there. And and, and you just, you know, you 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 go with what's on screen. But yeah, everything that scene, that 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 scene where they're arguing and fighting and we know in the books it goes for two hours and movies, you get two minutes because that's how movies are are, are made. How, How you tell the stories. It just really adds just I love the idea that I never would have grown up despite that Mon Mothma paragraph in that novel. I never grew up thinking that the the rebels didn't get along with each other or that the rebels came from different points. I just thought it's team A and team B and they're going to fight for the championship of the galaxy. You know, and to see it all play out, I appreciate it more and more. 
the debate and all the all the lines that you and I, yeah, what does she propose it? And so you've told us all these little quotable quotes that are funny in their own way. They all add up to just a real powerful sequence. I say we fight. God, Slap the flapper. Slap the flipper down. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me to to uh, to go on a a a journey back to uh, the central question, which I'm really glad that we went on this journey, is that all of that has so much more power if in this particular circumstance they truly die, right? Because yeah. we know, we know from A New Hope, uh, I love looking at New Hope, as it, especially it came out and everybody's like, in contrast to all these gritty, depressing films, this is just a fun-loving adventure. And it is because tone matters in, in, in films. And we don't linger on the fact of how much horrific death there is. Like, it's a right. fun-loving film where the main character decides to leave his home because his, his adoptive parents have been burned to their bones. <laughs> it's a fun lark where a princess can really take care of herself, and she has to since her whole planet was destroyed. There is violence and death in the absolute fun, simple, good versus evil romp that A New Hope is. And I think it's just such a great way to pay tribute to A New Hope, saying that's not the goal of A New Hope, to focus on these, on the truth, on the, the death and the war. But this is an opportunity to to focus on those moments and to celebrate those characters. And I think that is more powerful if we get to meet these really compelling, very real characters um, who don't have, uh, you know, uh, who, who aren't going to live on to to be in the next sequel, you know, who are truly going to give their lives. Yeah. No, and I think just, you know, coming out of Force Awakens, which was, re, you know, a, a modern fairy tale retold and, and all that kind of stuff and, and did its job so well. Rogue One to me helps set up a little bit for what's uh, what the, the modern era is all about too. If we get to also examine the, the little details of this whole story, and and that's where some of the power comes from with them with them going the, the true sacrifice. Yeah, and I and I think it also just goes to Star Wars can be lots of things, and it can be a fairy tale. And you know, if you don't enjoy the sequel trilogy, you can say the Skywalker saga ends in Return of the Jedi, and they went through some hard times, but then they lived happily ever after, and it's a little bit more of a fairy tale. In a lot of more modern Star Wars storytelling, is like, yeah, no, I mean, there, there are uh, space wizards and, and laser swords, but the the stakes are real for real people. And, you know, I think the sequel trilogy is very much uh, about uh, just because you succeeded once doesn't mean you're not going to have problems uh, in your, <laughs> when you're middle age, you know. And Rogue One, I think, really dives into that uh, mm -hmm. being a little bit less fairy tale and a little bit more real, real galaxy. So why do you think that the bold choice of letting all of the main characters perish gets glazed over? And also, feel free to question me if you don't think that's an accurate, you know, well, uh, discussion point. Uh, feel yeah. free to challenge me on that. No, well, I, I, no, I don't think I don't think I need to fully challenge. But I, I'm trying to think of conversation I've had. I think I, I, I think I'm a, I'm surrounded by some folks who enjoy that. And I'm not talking about Star Wars podcasters or anything. I'm talking about people, film, film fans uh, that I know work with who, who like that choice. But I, I don't think the true power, power of it um, is, is fully celebrated all the time. Um, if that makes sense. So I don't know. So yeah, my, I guess my question to you is have you, what ways do you think it's been glossed, glazed over? I think maybe I am just internalizing the number of conversations I have um, 
with uh, people in person who are kind of grumbly about Disney era Lucasfilm and say like, oh, it's it's just because they're they're not brave, they're not willing to take any risks, or even like, oh, Mandalorian season one was, uh, you know, really different. It was finally a small story, but then we had to connect back to Luke Skywalker and. And Star Wars just it, it, they're just it, they're just full of terror, and they will never go away from the big characters of the the main stories. And I feel like the fact that every main character died in a Disney movie, you know, mm-hmm. um, you you can't say the S word on Disney Plus, but you can slaughter the main characters right. <laughs> of a Star Wars movie and then sell action figures. I feel like it. If you have a really strong feelings about um, Star Wars not being willing to take risks, then in conversations I've had, then this gets glazed over because to me it's a, yeah. a pretty big example that there is a willingness to take risks. I I totally uh, agree with you in, in that regard. Yeah, no, then thank you for the clarification. Yeah, I, th- I think um, yeah, Star Wars can't they can't leave the Skywalkers or they're never brave to try. Those are those are critic buzzwords. I literally take off the screen off the Twitter machine, toss them and throw them out the window. It, to me, it just means you haven't really paid attention. <laughs> I mean, I'm being a bit of a jerky jerk there. So I'm with you on that. Uh, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I think that, and I think that's it for me. And I think this is, you know, definitely just a place where I am expressing an opinion. And if anybody listening disagrees, as always, I have the utmost uh, respect for that. But I just think I feel strongly that Star Wars it has always been something that is both a creative big swing and it's a large corporation that even when it's Lucas, I mean, Lucas made his own documentary called the empire of dreams where he sort of ironically reflects on the fact that I didn't want to do anything from the studio system. And in order to not do that, I built my own studio and I became <laughs> the monster I was trying to destroy and almost relates himself to Vader. Like mm-hmm. Lucas made that about himself. You know, Uh, so I feel like there's always going to be this tension in Star Wars that it has it generated in Lucas's mind as an indie film. Um, You know, the prequels have been described as like the most expensive indie films ever made because Lucas made the films he wanted to make, period. And I just kind of I feel that even though there's always this tension between the creative versus the bottom line is to make money that even in this Disney era of Lucasfilm, uh, there is a real commitment to taking big swings. And I think, you know, killing all of the main characters is a prime example of that. Uh, You love A New Hope because it is a whiz-bang adventure, simple black and white story, at least in that first film, uh, before you know all the twists and turns, before you know Vader is Luke's father. Um, You know, you got uh, interviews uh, back in the day, uh, with Alec Guinness saying, I beg people not to overthink this or discuss it. It's a simple story <laughs> of good and bad for a new generation. Um, so for them to take take that vision of a new hope and go, no, we, we want to fill in the gray. Um, it's a big creative swing. And I think there, there are swings like that in, in all the Star Wars storytelling, uh, in my opinion. So I think I, I cling to this one as an, as an example of if you're if you're of the opinion that there aren't risks, I feel like that this should be a part of the conversation because I think it is a risk to kill everyone and then sell action figures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, over 1.5 billion, right? Uh, in a movie where everyone dies. Exactly. Well, thank you uh, for letting me uh, work through uh, my opinions. 
No, I love it. No, I love it. And the only other, for my, what I've sent in is uh, even the friends of mine who love this film, who aren't in that daily, weekly Star Wars conversation like we are, uh, I think they don't even, they, I don't need them to because they enjoy the film, but it's like they're focused on the boom, bam, walkers, X-Wings, and, and as you should, because it's spectacular in this movie. Um, but the, the, you, to the, the, the cost of, of the movie, the cost, the victory's price, which is now the, also the book and alphabet squadron, is not felt as much. And sometimes maybe I want to point that out to them. Yeah, yeah, that that's a great way uh, to to sum up this part of our conversation. Uh, there is a price for victory in Rogue One, and it's one of the things that gives it uh, its power. So with that, we are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to discuss uh, those characters uh, who sacrificed so much in Rogue One. We'll be right back. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Force Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Force Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J E N I L A N D A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. And we are back uh, to continue discussing the bravery of Rogue One, the loaded title that reflects <laughs> my opinion about this discussion. Uh, but we want to look at some of these characters, uh, discuss a little bit about what we love about them, what future storytelling we might want to see, because I don't think Rogue One would have worked as well if we didn't like these characters. So let's uh, start with uh, Jin Erso. Can How are you feeling about this character several years on? You know, is she an, an all-time great? Uh, you know, what does she add to the Star Wars saga? What are, you, what are your feelings? I think she's starting to grow as an all-time great in a lot of people's eyes. And I've always enjoyed this character. I think Felicity Jones did a, just a, a really good job. And is she a little dour and quiet and muted at times? I've heard that critique of, of, of not, not her performance, but just how the character is sometimes presented. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I, particularly maybe that some of the second act stuff for me, but... But overall, I no, and 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 the stuff uh, in with Saw on Jetta and 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 the hollow video of her father, and the tear. Man, it's one of my favorite Star Wars moments, and it's one of the best acted moments. So because of all that, and then because of the supplemental material, you you, you and I just praised thy heavens, Rebel Rising by Beth Revis, which is just wonderful story about Jin a few years younger and stuff that she's gone through. Uh, so I think the character, the legacy of the character is there it's felt it's felt by other characters uh chas in uh, uh alphabet squadron right mm-hmm. uh, calling herself Ma- maya halleck based off of uh, uh liana halleck the the the, the name uh, jen is under when the movie begins so i th- i think it's um i think it's there and as far as what she adds is is a lot of things it is it is family issues and lost family but also perspectives and how points of view and 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 not seeing the whole story can maybe send you down a path Uh, how you mentors and how you're raised and what you feel and, and, and just letting your heart harden to the point where you, you, you don't care. And maybe that's not who you are as a person. Jin says, you know, it doesn't affect you if you don't 
you know, look up, but I got to imagine that many times in her life, she looked up and just was like, I better look back down because I just can't deal with what's up there. And I think that's very real and something we all deal with. And, and then she does it all. And the about face she does, uh, as opposed to Cassie Nandor has been living this life, but the about face is, is um, something I think a, a lot of people go through. And so it's inspirational from that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree about, uh, the performance. I think her performance has really grown on me over the years. I think I had some, I always thought she was great. I always thought she was like, uh, engaging yeah. and, and you wanted to know more. And I think, uh, there are some moments where I feel like, Oh, it is clear that she is feeling a lot, but, uh, is the script helping, helping us understand what uh, emotion she's feeling? And the more I watch the films, the more that goes away. Um, she's yeah. one of my, uh, the, the absolute favorite performances, favorite characters, uh, of my wife that every time we watch uh, uh, Rogue One, my wife uh, remembers being at a convention panel with me where, you know, people were like, eh, Jen Urso is only okay. And it's like one of the few times I've seen a nerd rage uh, pass across my wife's face. <laughs> like, ah. You know, uh, so she is compelling. She does uh, make a big hook. And if you're a person who is ever like, I, I like Rogue One, I like Jen Urso, you know, but what's really going on there? man, Rebel Rising, it lays it all out so clearly. The novelization of Rogue One lays it out so clearly. And if you're not right. connecting and you you want a little bit more, um, you know, uh, perspective, boy, does it just come to life with those those novels. I don't think they're necessary, uh, you know, because like I said, my, my wife always felt this strongly that the character was this great and, and really felt uh, what she was emoting and, and what was going on. I, I think for me, Part of the reason I wanted to have the conversation this way is, you know, Force Awakens comes out and it's the sequel and it's, you know, it's Han and Leia's child, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, all these characters are going to be the new characters. They're the 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 new three. Right. And then the yeah. second film comes out and you're introduced to all these new characters. And it's still new enough to us that we are meeting on screen brand new Star Wars characters that we all memorize their names and try to learn as much about them. But the more Star Wars storytelling that goes on and on and on you know, are these characters going to still have that same weight that they did when they came out in 2016? And I think uh, for Jen Erso, that that's going to be a yes, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> partially because of what they've done in, in Star Wars storytelling in comics and books where uh, the characters in the galaxy know who she is and know the legacy of who she, she who she was and what she did. Chas does. Uh, and there's great stuff in the Star Wars comics about about Luke and knowing about Jyn Erso um, in respecting what she did. So there, her legacy is going to live on in the literal storytelling. But for me, in terms of like just what kind of makes her iconic and why I think she will really continue to resonate as a character is I think she's this perfect picture of an innocent caught up in the conflict. Mm-hmm. And you can still have this conversation, uh, you know, with people who are like, yeah, are the Empire really the bad guys? You know, the the Rebellion did a lot of bad things too, and they could be seen as just an insurgent group attacking the legitimate government. And you're like, you can have those fun conversations. I think the perspective of Star Wars is the Empire is bad. <laughs> and Jen is a character who basically just, her story is walking through that argument, right? Of yeah. at different points in her life, she can she can see... Well, yeah, I know the Empire is bad. I, I I know what they did to my family. Uh, but every time I get near uh, the rebels, something else is destroyed. And yeah, they're using the same tactics. So what's the deal? It's just, you know, she she falls for 
that cynicism of both sides are the same in this Mm -hmm. movie in particular is her journey to see no they aren't you know yeah yeah and 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 it you're so right because she's i mean from the beginning she she sees it and and i love the image of krennic being just this man in a white cape that she knows nothing about he just represents the end of her family the end of her life as she knew it and and chasing that and how it goes beyond that and and she's not she doesn't join so she can go take him out she joins so she can continue uh her her father's mission because he's you know everything is everything is there she's seen the destruction firsthand she knows it she feels it and she knows what will happen if she doesn't get involved and to make that choice knowing knowing looking again looking at saw who is breathing he's got his no no feet left he's broken and he's and he's get everything right or wrong and i think you can say there's some things he does that should be criticized you know i'm talking in story um she knows the cost of this and that's part of why my why she probably doesn't want to look up and then when she finally does it she she knows it she knows it she feels it so that represents so much yeah and i do think there's gray area i think there's great discussion about saw taking things uh too far i think there's great discussion of uh cassian you know really suffering for you know things like shooting tivik of you know i did all of this you know for a greater good i need that greater good to happen uh, i think there are great discussions uh, of those gray areas and i think star wars does ultimately uh lean toward avoid war at all costs but i think you know by her really developing in this film these understanding totally what her father went through understanding that cassian is in this place where he can't walk away from this seeing everything that saw sacrificed for this seeing you know what the empire truly does everywhere it goes you know and realizing that she needs to make a choice to stand up against the empire is is a really powerful story and makes her kind of a powerful symbol of uh the innocent who rejects the they're both the same argument ultimately yeah yeah um so future storytelling is a fun conversation to have in Star Wars always, uh, but particularly when the characters have passed. Um, what kind of future storytelling might you want to see for Jyn Erso? You know, go, going in her past and, and Rebel Rising does uh, a couple years, but she's also mentioned uh, with uh, Infus Ness, right? In, in the solo novelizations where she's mentioned uh, where Infus Ness goes and takes um, the hyperfuel to Saw and that great, that great interaction they have. Where that line where Jin says, uh, "Oh, what is she eleven in that scene?" I think, and uh, you know, uh, he says to Infus, "He's he's Saw's going to overlook you. You know, he's gonna he's gonna undervalue you basically for a lot of reasons. Uh, it, it's great stuff. So I think you could go back and cast a younger Jin, and and you know, could you base an entire series around her? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you could probably not, but to have it kind of interwoven with something else. I don't need I don't need to be Andor. This is my you know, give me that." That series that I, I think a, a lot of us would love to have. Um, that that's where I'd like to see. Just see a little bit of what you're talking about. A little bit of a of a of a, of a, a young person, young girl trying to establish herself in the galaxy, and her adoptive father, in a way, her father figure is off launching rocket launchers at kids and trying to fight a war for something big. Who lost his sister? Lost his family? There's a lot going on there, um, and you know, it doesn't always have to be dark. I guess, but. Uh, there's some potential there. Yeah. Young Jin out and about. <laughs> yeah. I, I would be intrigued by something like that. Uh, Rebel Rising is such a revelation. I know we talk about it a lot, uh, but I truly do think it is one of the best uh, Star Wars books because it does deal with some absolutely horrific stuff that Jin has to live through, but it also does deal with the, like 
the, the real human side of you know there she meets good people uh the the you get to see saw trying to raise her but saw just doesn't have anything to give but teach her to be a freedom fighter he doesn't know anything else and that's what he has to offer there's such great humanity in that book that uh, you know i i know fans have uh, sent in questions and and i about this and it's something that i have been really interested in i'd love to see disney plus make some animated films or limited series adaptations of some of the really great novels and i think or comic book arcs and i think rebel rising is like extremely high on my list because i just want more people to experience that story of this part of jen's life so there's a part of me of the the future storytelling i might want to see is just exposing more people to the absolute greatness of rebel rising yeah so i mean yeah because again you can't deny it's just rogue one benefits from knowing a little more of that stuff in that moment when she's in front of the the vision of her father that not only did she thought she didn't just think her father died she thought her father sold out her and her mom and the family and just said great i'll go join the empire and lottie dong gonna go to a nice day at work and and how that burned and and um how that felt and then, and then also to, to see that not, my father's alive and he's here for the cause and that's also what the empire took from me it killed my mother and it robbed me of any any relationship i could have had with my father and it it, 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 it it's all there and it, that comes out a little bit more in uh, in the books too yeah absolutely and it let me say instead of more in addition in addition yeah i mean it, it is yeah it's an extension of the story that's in rogue one but you know because she's uh you know a young woman growing up and growing up under this freedom fighter it is you know a real different uh, part of the story um one of the things i've always appreciated about that book too is that it uh it leaves a window of of gin time uh where you get toward the end and like and then gin went a bunch of different places including takadana it, and it almost is just it, it is it, it's a like I can't even remember it's two paragraphs but it's like a two paragraph backdoor pilot for like remember Jen can still have some adventures you know <laughs> uh, and she does have that a couple of event, uh, adventures in the forces of destiny um, you know and I like what they pull out there that she is a jaded survivor in the, these later years when she's separated from Saw she's just trying to keep her head down and do her own thing except when a child is in danger and that's just such a beautiful part of her character so yeah. I, I would love to hear to see uh, you know, in whatever form, we got a little bit of window to do some more uh, Jen Erso storytelling, and, and I'd love to see it. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're going to move on to Cassian Andor. Uh, we are going to get some more storytelling with uh, with Cassian, <laughs> so let's let's just talk about that. What are we hoping for with his character in the Andor uh, uh, television show? And kind of to go along with that, Ken, you know, what do you think his legacy as a character is now? What do you think it's going to be by the time... Uh, this Andor show catches up with the events of Rogue One. It, so, the, 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 we, we've for years now have made the the revelation that he had separatist leanings or his family tied to separatists. One of the it's one of the best things out there at Star Wars that not still not everyone knows. And and, and I love to explore a little bit more of that. Uh, I because he starts there and he was it was a fight he couldn't run away from. Right, he, mm-hmm. he had no six years old. So what a powerful starting point. But along the way, and gets the rebellion grows, everything, and and we see we see him shoot Tivik, and we know, and like you said, he he just I, I've been doing all these things that are maybe questionable for the greater good. You you said it so well, Joseph. Just oh man, I kind of need that greater good to happen. I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. But in watching the film this week, I fo- for some reason, and he's not in focus. Diego Luna's not in focus. He's he's, he's over the shoulder of Tivik. 
And the moment he plays it, when he knows what he's going to have to do, it's it's even before he walks up to him to say, "Hey, everything's going to be okay." He he flashes a look over at Tivik. What Tivik's like? Oh my god, I can't go. And he knows that here it is again. I'm going to have to kill this man. And it's played so well. And it's a beat. It's a second. And I want this series to 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 have him from. I'm in this fight. I have to be. Yep, I have to kill this guy. I have to kill this. I have to take them out. I have to lie to this person. I have to do that to the point in Rogue One where that kill almost in his head. You're like, I, I wish I didn't have to do this anymore. And what 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 is that? What's that journey by still keeping the big the 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 rebellion? that you believe in because you have to, you have no other choice, but to believe in and how that all is weighing down on him, but still drives him forward and, and how he, he hopes, he hopes for that greater good to finally arrive. Yeah. I think Diego Luna is just fantastic in the film. And one of the reasons I'm, uh, you know, excited about the Android television show is he plays that Tivic beat. Like I have been at this crossroads before and I know the horrible thing I have to do. And I, I don't want to do it, but this is not the first time I've wrestled with it. And I don't wrestle with it. I just do it, even though I hate it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think that that suggests so much about what the Andor television show can can be. Um, yeah, I, I one of the first things I went to for you know, his legacy, and, and we'll see. Maybe, maybe it's a detail in the novelization and the television show won't play with it. But the the absolute uh, thrill of the idea that we could see the citizen separatist perspective is what I'm calling it, Ken. Um, yeah. We talk about this with uh, the prequel era, with the Clone Wars. You know, we've got great uh, listener questions about the line in the crawl for uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith that, that says heroes uh, on both sides. And to me, the picture of the Clone Wars is there are separatists, uh, there are true people, citizens who are unhappy with how dysfunctional uh, the Republic has become and want to step away. And that's its great own story. And then that true legitimate concern becomes utterly manipulated by Sidious and, and Dooku, right? And the, the vast majority of the separatists that we see are, you know, grievous and uh, battle droids and, you know, selfish, uh, uh, greedy People, uh, you know, like Wat Tambor and Newt Gunray, who are just in it for money and their own power. And then to be able to see, we get to, we get it a little bit, you know, with uh, Mina and Lux Bonteri in the in the Clone Wars yep. animated series. But the idea that, you know, a character that is going to emerge to be a major Star Wars character, that we get his citizen separatist perspective. You know, mm -hmm. what does he know or what does he understand about, you know, hey, I was against the Republic, then the Republic got even worse. You know, does he understand or care why? Or is it just from his perspective, like he implies in the film, that he's been in this fight since he was six years old. From his perspective, the Republic wasn't functioning well. It became a war. People all around him they, that he cared about died. Great. They changed their name. They, they ripped the mask off a little bit and just called themselves an empire. And I've been fighting that since I was six years old. I yeah. so want to dive into that. So I want to dive in and, and, and the mistrust of uh, Jedi or the name Jedi and, and the concept of the force. And it, it's on display a little bit in the film. And it's one of those moments that, all right, give me I would two more minutes of the movie to have him kind of get a little upset with Sharon in some way or really upset of the Kyber Crystal. I, I don't know to what way. I don't know. And I don't know if it's 100 percent needed in the film, but I, it's just one of those little details that I love so much. So now, hey, now we get to explore that a little bit. There might not be uh, Jedi roaming around during this TV series, but there could be more 
you know, uh, guardians of the will types or force believers or force force uh, people say, and maybe someone says, man, I, w- I wish we had a Jedi. And Cassian says, well, let me tell you about what I think about the Jedi. <laughs> I, I, I'm really intrigued by that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and there, there's just so much to explore about his background. I wrote down his his speech to to Jin because I I often think of parts of it, and you know the delivery on I've been in this fight since I was six years old is so good that that's the thing that we often gravitate toward. But if you don't mind, I'm just going to read his his full text. Please, uh, he says to Jin. Jin is challenging him, you know, that uh, accurately that he had orders to kill her father, you know, which was definitely Draven just leaning into fear. Uh, Jen, Jen looking at it from a more hopeful perspective of he's got information, not only is he my father, but he's got information and Draven looking at it from a point of fear of like, he's a risk, kill him, uh, which great Star Wars uh, themes already. And Jen's questioning him on this, pushing him on this. And he, you know, he makes it clear, like I, I had orders, but I didn't do them. And then as their argument continues, he says, we don't all have the luxury of deciding where and when we want to care about something. Suddenly, the rebellion is real to you. Some of us live it. I've been in this fight since I was six years old. You're not the only one who lost everything. Some of us just decided to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that speech is the log line. <laughs> it's yeah, the yeah. blurb. It's the press release for the Andor, Andor television show. And there's so much in that that makes it unique and powerful. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that sentence of... We don't all have the luxury of deciding where and when we want to care about something that so speaks to characters like Han and Jin initially who found a way to be like, yep, the Empire's bad. They're everywhere, but I'm just staying out of it. And him painting this picture that maybe it is that the war came to his planet mm-hmm. early on and he lost everything right away and he doesn't have any other life to run to. It, that's a great, interesting Star Wars story. And I think, you know, for myself, for somebody who who likes to enjoy Star Wars as the galaxy far, far away in the fantasy of it, but then also does like to uh, see how it can help me look at the real world in different ways. I think that's just something that's really, really important to remember. Some issues that come up in the real world are issues that some of us have the luxury of deciding whether I want to weigh in on. Other times, those issues are just about somebody and, and that person doesn't have a choice mm-hmm. of whether or not they want to weigh in on it because it's their life and somebody is making a decision about their life, you know? Um, and I think there's a power in having a character in Star Wars who expresses that of like, I never had the opportunity to choose whether or not I cared about this war because it came to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, that, there's a couple scenes in Rogue One that I, I kind of consider like the heart of the movie, but I think this is definitely one of them. It's what it's about. And like I said, to spin that off in that series, that's a great starting point. Yeah. Yeah. And then as I've said before, well, you know, we'll see how the character develops, you know, yeah. even with, with uh, carrying all those weighty themes, there's a fun and a, a charm to him. And oh. the fact that he is a spy that, you know, I think this is going to be a little bit of, uh, of Star Wars meets kind of a, Daniel Craig, uh, James Bond, the the version of James Bond where uh, there, there's a cost, uh, an emotional cost to uh, always being in danger and having to take lives, even even maybe when you don't want to. And, and I, that's just so fresh and new for Star Wars. I mean, you're, I know you're a, you're overall just a big Bond fan, but that's why I was 
drawn and continue to be drawn back to the Daniel Craig version of Bond is 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 uh, dealing with some of the realistic things. And also the other thing here, you made me think of it too, is like not for nothing with Cassian in there. I've always viewed him as just real damn good at his job. And that's why he's at those kind of command tables. He, ha- he has rank and he has this and that to get into the nits, uh, nuts and bolts of the rebellion. But I, I also think he's just probably really good at this. And that's another thing that's going to be at play and what we're going to see him do and, and how he chooses to use those skills, you know, and continues to grow and, 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 and help further the cause. I think it's going to be interesting too. That's such a great point. And I think another thing that, that, that gets him into a little bit of a, a, a more realistic espionage, you know, I'm not talking uh, Roger Moore. I don't think he's a uh, sipping martinis and, and making puns. Right. Um, I think that, yeah, he's a, he's good with a blaster. He's a great, uh, uh, lockpick. He understands body language and can make himself disappear into a crowd. But if he needs to charm the hell out of somebody, you know, like he tells Tivik exactly what Tivik needs to hear. You know, he right. plays him like a fiddle and then has to shoot him in the back. It's horrible, but it's intriguing uh, to know that that's a part of his character. Yeah, 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 yeah. Though now I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind one episode where he has to, uh, you know, put on a fancy tunic and uh, go to a, a fancy bar and Canto Bite and drink. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely <laughs> want him to go to Canto Bite. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah, and, right? the, yeah. and, and that I think, you know, uh, Casino Royale is probably my favorite Bond film because it mixes that. Like, I have to kind of, you know, pretend to be this, you know, fancily dressed mm-hmm. martini swilling person, but the reality of what I have to do is brutal, and you, you that contrast yeah. is really fascinating. Oh, yeah. I love Casino Royale. Good conversation. Yeah. So, Cassie and Andor and Canto Bite, now expectations. Are <laughs> All right. Let's move on then to K2SO. I think uh, K2SO has been a fan favorite, remains one. Is he for you, Ken? Yeah, he, he really is. And and uh, he's he's very funny. Alan Tudyk, uh, props to, to him for doing it. And can't wait till he joins the, the Andor story. Uh, I, I got to, you know, in terms of com- comedy and Star Wars is, is it's always present and how it's it, people have hot takes on, on and, and, and they should on how humor in Star Wars is presented. And sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes things grow on you. And sometimes, uh, you know, uh, we all we all have some issues with uh, certain jokes or references. But <laughs> K2 was kind of there from the start. Um, but I've I've actually grown to appreciate him even more. The the, the line of, uh, you know, uh, uh what is it? The, gosh, I should have written it down, but just the, when, when Jin has a blaster. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, I actually uh, rewatched that scene. I didn't have a chance to rewatch the whole movie, but that line is my favorite. Uh, did you know that wasn't me? <laughs> it's that. Yes. 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 That. And then, um, but, and, but then uh, but the, 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 the specific one I'm talking about though is uh, it, when, when Jin ha- and he's like, do you want to know the, the percentage uh, that she'll use the blaster against you? Uh, get, no, no. Well, that he just, it's high. It's very high. <laughs> it's, just, it's so great and it's so real. And it, yes, there's a lot of uh, wisecracking droids in Star Wars. We it totally get that. And and sometimes it, you know, I think our antenna goes up. You and I both have that. Like, eh, here we go. And, uh, and L three exceeded my expectations after initially me going up. Another droid. Another droid. Chopper too. I, I had some chopper issues. Now I, I love that curmudgeonly selfish, uh, but also uh, self sacrificing uh, uh, hero. Um, K two. I still love him, and it represents a lot of that. And and, and the big theme I've, I've talked about before, but choice over programming. Yeah, I think uh, I think I really like K two because uh, a snarky droid can be kind of a straightforward joke, and and different droids who have weird programming. It's kind of all over Star Wars from the books and the comics. Uh, and there's something about K two that I think he has those moments that are a little bit more go to the core of his identity, like that. 
Did you know that wasn't me sounds honestly hurt, you know, and it invites you to it's a funny line, but then it also invites you to think about this weird identity he has where he was programmed to be something else. But then uh, he clearly does have has developed a a true bond with uh, with Cassian. And, you know, I love the, the description. I didn't write down the exact dialogue, but that when Cassian reprogrammed him, he now can't stop saying what he's thinking. Yeah, and it even in it, the movie doesn't deal with it directly, but it invites you to think like, does he care about that? Is he uncomfortable right. with that? <laughs> right. Is there a part of? Are there some servos spinning trying to make him stop, stop himself from saying everything that he thinks? You know, that's some really great stuff. That you know, mm. it, right now it sounds like he's not appearing in the first season of Andor, uh, right. but if he appeared in future seasons, I would love. You know, there's a little bit of depth there to explore. Uh, do you, do you want him to show up in future seasons? I, I totally do, I, and I know we got what I would call soft confirmation now of of, of not even not, not not necessarily season two, but just some point in the story um, is what Alan Tudyk said. No, I really do. I, I, and look, the the one there's the one shot comic of where they met, and um, it's it's good, it's fine, it, it, it's okay. Uh, I'm okay with them revisiting that moment. I'm not saying totally retcon it and changing everything because then, you know, the the countless amount of YouTube videos that would now pop up in my recommended file would be annoying, but revisit it and see it in live action. Or maybe you just do it after they've met. I don't I don't know. But to see this, to to I'd love to spend more time with this droid that was, again, programmed to be an Imperial uh, and programmed to think and say certain things or restrict certain thoughts. And now he doesn't have to. That's that's pretty big. That's a pretty big thing. And don't forget, this is the one character who just out and out says, I'm with you because Cassian says I have to. <laughs> and then K2's the first one to sacrifice uh, himself. The first one to make the choice, what I always refer to as choice over programming, programming being everything he came from, everything he was and everything he believed, which is, I don't, I mean, forced to be here to being, I'll die for you to carry on. It's still one of the more affecting deaths in the movie for me. And the, and the light slowly fading out on K2's eyes. It it, it was, uh, it hit me then. Cause initially like I said up top, like, Oh no, our character's going to die. Oh, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. And now when I watch it, it just means a lot. It represents uh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know we've talked about it before, but uh, you know, I love that there's this bond between him and Cassie and any, he, he, you get the sense he would have sacrificed himself for Cassie. at least I do, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. know, that, great blaster connection between him and Jin of Jin showing him that trust that he didn't show her (laughs) and realizing, Oh wow. You know, and he's got that line about you very unusual or, uh, you know, paraphrasing that one. Um, and that that's, it's a sweet moment that in this movie about war where people feel, you know, programmed to fight on this side, programmed to fight on, on that side, that these two characters, uh, can, uh, bond over the, the trust that's represented by a blaster. There you go. Good stuff. Good stuff. So we're going to move on to Bodie Rook. Um, you uh, said some very eloquent things in the first half of the podcast about Bodie, which uh, kind of what I wanted to frame in this question, which I think I've heard your answer already. Uh, is he, is Bodie the ultimate sort of every person, regular citizen in Star Wars that we've seen on screen so far? Yeah. I, I Ultimate. Yeah. I mean, in a way, because it's highlighted, it's highlighted so well in this in this in this picture, and and, and the the whole movie, you know, he's got that imperial insignia on his shoulder. And you mentioned it. I think going back, I'll, I'll cite Clerks, Kevin Smith's Clerks, is the first time he had those like 
ah, the rebels blew up the Death Star. But, yeah, you know, there was probably some contractors just doing their job on there. You know, I've had those conversations for 30 years, 40 years, too. Right. And, and some of them are just totally fun. And I don't take them beyond yeah. that. Um, and it's part of the fun of being a Star Wars fan. I, I'll have a contractor on the Death Star conversation any day of the week. But this was framed as, yeah, he's a, he's an Imperial, but it, he it was a job, and he's from Jeddah. That's his home planet, and and that was his way off, and it was a job and a way to provide for his family. He's got a family, and he is faced with the truth of what he's involved with. And you can have a lot of those. The stormtroopers were on the Death Star, and they didn't know Alderaan was blown up, and. And they're real people, real creatures, and and their loss was felt by other people in the Empire. And Alphabet Squadrons does a pretty good job of dealing with that in a very realistic way um, with some of the losses on the the Empire, some of the funerals they have. And, yeah, you can look at it in that way. But when faced with the truth, he he chooses. And and that's why I think it's so important, that line of, of to make things right. That's the theme. And of the of this jittery, I'm just a truck driver. Now I have to save the galaxy and it's all dependent on me. And, and the joy, the joy when he does it, when he gets that thing plugged in, mm-hmm. and by the way, you know, Francis McGee, uh, who's Yorin from Game of Thrones, uh, dies saving him and, and the other characters die as he plugs in. And that there's so much peace in a moment. He feels as though he has made things right. And that's his last thought. And he knows it and he can't turn away from it. And he's already made the choice. And it is the every every person stepping up in a way that's, uh, you know, just it's just so important and measurable, immeasurable to the Star Wars story because the rebellion doesn't happen. This is why you and I love Infus Nest and love what Solo does. And you you pointed out so well back in the day, just that hyper fuel does. It's not a MacGuffin. It's not just a MacGuffin. It is representing so much. And Infus Nest says that. That's why I say Infus Nest is the face of the, the new face of the rebellion. Because it comes from these affected worlds, and Bodhi Rook was maybe not in that effect, affected world, but he realized he was now shipping the machinery of the war uh, of, the, of, of the of the monster that was oppressing those worlds. He wants to make it right, and it all ties together, and it spins into military militaristic action that this movie is, and which is what the rebellion has to become. It all flows so well, and he is on the ground level of that, and that's why I really do love this character. Plus, Riza Mag, come on, the guy's great. Yeah, I mean, I think script-wise, you know, on the page, uh, Bodhi doesn't have uh, as much uh, to work with as some of the other characters, and Riz Ahmed makes every syllable sing and and worth it, and the character comes across so uh, likable and relatable and and tragic in in all the best ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think for me, I kind of go to... You know, we had a, a really fun conversation several main shows back about factions in Star Wars because that's mm-hmm. kind of the way I grew up with it in my mind of like uh, there are Jedi, there are rebels, there are bounty hunters. But almost y- you saw a couple people like Wu Hair, yeah, they're yeah. bartenders, you know. But I didn't have a lineup of here are the seven uh, bartenders and here are the blasters they come with. Right? <laughs> I yeah. kind of grew up with everyone in Star Wars is someone, you know exotic and fun and strange and that's a great way to look at at star wars um but bodhi's this character who's just like i i can feel bodhi rook saying why would there ever be an action figure of me you know yeah i don't have a lightsaber i'm not a smuggler (laughs) i'm not a bounty hunter i don't fight in an you know underground uh, uh, ring of gladiators like he's you know i'm not a politician 
he's a person with a relatable real world job, even compared to the other characters he's around. He's not a guardian of the will. He's not, yeah. you know, a, a master uh, spy. You know, he's not a trained resistance fighter like Jin. Mm. He's just got a pretty relatable job. And yeah. in, in real world terms, he makes this incredibly terrifying choice to be a whistleblower against a massive organization who's going to do something horrific, right? Yeah. And the fact that that those kind of characters can and should be in Star Wars and, and, and given a, a spotlight, I, I think there are many representatives of that now as the, the storytelling expands and there's going to be more. But I think Bodhi was, for me, really one of the first and, and really moving because of that uh, sort of baton of hope way that I process Rogue One, that he is the first link in this chain, not the first, I guess the second. Uh, if you start with Galen saying, yeah, yeah. I built this, this flaw in, but it's going to be useless unless anybody knows about it and I need to get it out and I'm, I'm riding back and forth with this person and I can see in their eyes that they know yeah. what's going on around them and I'm going to take this, this, you know, I'm going to give this opportunity uh, and I'm going to ask this person to make this, take this terrible, terrifying risk and to look at somebody like Bodhi Rook and like, he's got a, he's got a job for the legitimate mm -hmm. government that, yeah. you know, that in the legitimate government is evil because it's run by an evil space wizard mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, and none of the Star Wars we know uh, happens unless he is just mind-blowingly brave. Mind-blowing, mind-blowingly brave. You said whistleblower. That's a great way to say it. And, and, and how, you know, the journey, he gets on that path and I would love to, and I, I'm trying to remember the Rogue One novel if, if, if it goes, it, it definitely has more details on him and Galen, but I just would love to, you know, probably because Rizzo such a great performer and, and so is Mads Mikkelsen as well, but just, you know, that conversation that finally, I can't imagine it happened in one sitting. You know, I can't imagine every time he went to Edu to pick something up or Galen was like, hey, hey, buddy, Bodhi, how you doing? Come over here. I got something for you. <laughs> like, like, what's the moment where Bodhi says, yeah, I need to make this right for my family that I'm working for, uh, for what I'm doing to other, like, I would love the moment. And how he, 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 he thinks it's simple enough, right? The movie starts with him going, hey, I'm the defector. I'm the guy. I got the information. I need to get, are you Saw Guerrero? Because I need to get this information. <laughs> and now they're just like, nope. Not today. Like, I got to imagine he walked up to Moroff and Jedi. Hey, 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 can you give me Saw? Because like, I'm supposed to talk to Saw. And, and he thinks it's so simple, and which is why I love the choice. Because there's that clip. I think, I think Riz Ahmed put it out there. Just, he auditioned several different variations of the character, right? There's more of a smooth talker. There's smooth, and he ends up going with this, you know, um, not, I don't think he's necessarily a stutterer, but he, it, it's the end. I, I keep saying that only because he's got that energy. He's terrified. He's playing he's terrified. the terror. He's yeah, yeah, exactly. Are you, are you saw, you saw, oh my God. And then he's so upset, but I'm the pilot. I'm the pilot, right? I did what I did. What's right. And his journey isn't just that one step. It's a complete thing. And, and that's why it's uh, continues to just reward uh, me when I, I watch it. I just, I really love what's there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so given that, that we both feel uh, that I, I, we, we love Bodhi for, for this, this perspective of in every person who, who takes on this huge uh, challenge, do you want more Bodhi stories or is Rogue One his story? Uh, or do you want the, uh, 
my flights with Galen, <laughs> where you get to see that that conversation, that slow building of trust. I would love a Disney Plus series, My Flights with uh, Galen, uh, a <laughs> three part limited limited series. Would love that. I will say, as much as I love this character, and much as I I love having Riza Med in Star Wars, I this might be it for me in terms of Bodhi Rook. I think it, I think it's pretty complete for me. Uh, it's pretty, uh, it's bittersweet. It's it's tragic, but it's also triumphant at the same time. Um, so I think that's kind of it. But don't want more Bodhi Rook like stories in Star Wars. Yeah, give me a little bit more of that in a new way. Could you find a way to work them in? Could you find um, a spot in even the Andor series that isn't super cute or quaint? Of oh, there's Bodhi Rook, but f- and and they've interacted or something like that before. You know, like could you find a way to have a, an episode? where it's just the dude that shows up to do his job for the empire and, and slowly starts to realize what he's doing. Maybe, maybe you could, a, a more talented storyteller than me could take that on. But uh, I, I will say I, I'm really satisfied with Rogue One as a, as a standalone Bodie Rook story. Yeah. I, I think I can find little, little moments uh, that, Ooh, that would be fun to explore the, my flights with Galen and joking about the title, but not about the content in some form, because that's yeah. a really fascinating relationship. But I think a part of the, what is so great about Bodhi is this is the adventure he went on because before this, he's not a smuggler. He's not a Jedi. He's not a warrior. He is a pilot doing a kind of day-to-day job. And yeah. this is the adventure he chose to, to go on is what, mm-hmm. what gives him his, his power. Um, I think if there's anything else, <laughs> uh, we'll see uh, how, how books exist uh, 40 years after Rogue One. But if they do, uh, Rogue One from a certain point of view, <laughs> and uh, what would that be? Uh, uh, twenty fifty six, uh, forty years out. Yeah. Uh, if if we're still doing the podcast in in twenty fifty six, I would love Bodhi's perspective on the Borgallet experience. You know, I know it's yeah. in the novelization. You know, yeah, yeah. and maybe I need to revisit that a little bit. But 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 that that would be engaging to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gone don't get messed up. Yeah, maybe I'll just have to pull that novelization down and just re-experience the Borgullet from yeah. uh, Bodhi's perspective. <laughs> re-experience the Borgullet for the first time. Yeah, coming soon to Galaxy's Edge, the Borgullet. <laughs> uh, moving on then, uh, obviously they are their own characters, but they're also a duo, so I wanted to discuss them together. Of course, we have Cheerit, Emway, and Baze, Malbus. Ken, what do you make these characters special? Uh, do, you, do you celebrate them as individuals, a duo, both where do you go i definitely you know celebrate them as individual but but yeah come on they're, they're a team they're a team for a reason and and i do love them and i do i mean there's such a just a childhood thrill of of hearing the guardians of the wills on screen in star wars I, i've told the story before but getting the 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 star wars novelization um and seeing the the, the prologue has you know palpatine and everything and and, and uh and it says taken as taken from the journal of the wills. I'm not, ju- I'm not lying. I'd go around, make my mom and dad. Anytime we, you know, use bookstore in a Royal Grande or Grover beach, San Luis Obispo, my hometown, I'd go and I'd spend as long as they would let me looking for this phantom star Wars book. I thought existed as it was there in the print. It's a oh, mom, mom. It says it's taken from the journal of the wills. Have you ever heard of the journal of the wills? What star Wars book is that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Ken. I don't know. Ken. I don't know. Ken. So to, to just to, 40 years later, to see this on screen, to hear it on screen and to see it's them and, and to get to know them. And I loved it. And what they represent, it is a little bit of the, the actual on the ground, the spirit of the force and the spirit of the Jedi being snuffed out. And they're the last of their kind in some sort of way, you know, at least in terms of the story. 
And what are they guarding? You know, they're, they're guarding a memory. They're, they're guarding whispers and legends and rumors, and they're guarding something that's not at play right now in, in, in the eyes of a lot of people. Uh, that means a lot and, and how it, their story ties up. And then just Bays being a once a believer, not a believer, and <laughs> finding at the end, Sherrett uh, being so great and insightful and, and Woody, uh, this blind character that, uh, that is no, just sees beyond anything. It, it, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they're they're both uh, you know, great charming actors like everybody in this uh uh there is uh, the fact that they are, you know, uh cool fighters. They have cool weapons and they have cool action moments and that is uh a, a definitely a a big part of uh, of what makes them powerful and cool. I think that the fact that they're a duo, they're both the guardians of the wills, which by the way, I totally relate. I, I looked for the journal and I looked for whatever other further adventures of Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a, you know, a, a totally believable thing back in the day when you, if you found an old fantasy book and it said there are more adventures, yeah. you, you could usually find them yeah. <laughs> in some dusty old uh, used bookstore. Uh, not so much with uh, the further adventures of Luke Skywalker is taken from the journey <laughs> journal of the wills. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think that they are great to advance, uh, just like uh, uh, Bodhi and Cassian and Jin all show us a little bit more uh, on the ground perspective of people who've lived through uh, the war uh, mm. of Clone Wars and and the the Cold War between the Empire and the Rebellion as the Empire puts its boot on the galaxy's necks. Uh, Chirrut and Bays represent, you know, for me that line in A New Hope where uh Tarkin calls the force a religion, you know, and says yeah. the Jedi's fire has gone out of the galaxy. You're you're the last of of that. Um that this idea that Sheer Emway can be somebody who is very lightly force sensitive or yeah. is maybe just a really, you know, great uh uh fighter. And he's got his echo box uh that that is described in a couple of the the written materials. Um but ultimately what they are is they're people who used to defend, you know, the legacy of not not just the Jedi, but the Force and the kyber crystals. They elevate the kyber crystals to something that is truly being perverted by the Empire. Like, there's a lot of that in the Catalyst novel, but even just watching the film and knowing that, oh, the kyber crystals are what power the Death Star, and those are were sacred to somebody, so much so that they had literal defenders, right? Mm -hmm. Um it, it, they really help elevate that story of the kyber crystals, but more than anything, they're just, a, they're this great action comedy tragedy duo of cheer it. Somebody who regardless of the horrors is just clearly never going to lose their faith. And right. Bayes is somebody who has like, yeah, no, I totally lost my faith in the idea and in the mm -hmm. religion, but I still believe in my friend yeah, yeah. So I'm going to follow him around and keep him alive. Like what, just what a great uh, picture of the force as religion. Yeah. Which uh, following force awakens and, and Laura Santeca and the church of the force, which was one of the first times I'd really concentrate on that, but you're so, you're so right to bring in the target line from new hope. It's always what was present. So to finally get to explore that. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there is some, uh, you know, other storytelling. There's the book by Greg Rucka uh, called Guardian of the Wills. And, and uh, I read that and there's definitely some fun stuff in it and it gives a little bit more background. It, it, there's definitely some 
you know, they are coming to terms with what's happening on uh, Jeddah and, and how much they want to get involved or not. And we learn how Baze gets his blaster. <laughs> so there's some just fun uh, setup stuff. Um, so there is that book. Uh, but do you want more tales of Chirrut and Baze in particular? Yeah, I, I would. I would. And, and only to um, have these make use of these great characters, because I think unlike where I think Bodhi, it's 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 there. It's present. And, and like you said, a you know, Bodhi work story from five years prior would be him doing a couple shifts delivering things. I don't I don't know what you could do here. These characters, whether it's on Jetta or not, or their early days or, or, you know, coming out of the Clone War. I don't know. There's there's potential there with the characters. In terms of the performers, uh, you know, Wen Jiang and, and Donnie Yen, like, I mean, these are legends in their own right, and to have them in Star Wars, we're pretty fortunate for that. So if there was a way you could, you know, uh, bring a story that's a year or two prior to Rogue One and, and have it kind of work on screen, I'd be all there for that. Only be- because I still think these are two of the characters that, that do get overlooked in conversations about this movie. Uh, uh, not, not necessarily for us here at Force Center or others around, but, you know, I don't, see their names being brought up enough anymore. And, and they're two really unique characters uh, that tie also to the heart of star Wars and the heart of uh, the past of star Wars growing up with uh, the wills and whatnot. So yeah, I could, I could get behind the idea. Yeah. I mean, to me, there's some of the great, uh, great depth of rogue one, but they're also mm-hmm. just some of the great uh, aesthetic of rogue one, you know, cheer outfit might be one of my favorite outfits really and, good. you know, and to bring in different aesthetics to have Baze be like, I'm the guy who's lost my faith, but I have the largest blaster I can find. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's some great star Wars uh, aesthetic as well. And I think for me, the idea of them is guardians of the wills. The, the one line that, you know, uh, Bayes used to be the most devout. I'm paraphrasing because I did not look that one up. But that one line from Cheered about Bayes used to be the most devout of all of us, but you know he's lost right. his faith. I think they are the characters and the idea of the Guardians of the Wills that obviously I like them because I'm going on about it. Uh, but I think they might be one of the examples of uh, I would have liked to see more of the iceberg, <laughs> yeah, of of the idea of who they who they are and what their life was like just a little bit more hint of what was it like when things were going well at yeah. Jetta for them and, and when there is a purity to their their uh role and they felt like we are where we need to be we are defending and honoring you know the temple yeah yeah mm. Guardians of the Wills, the new Disney Plus series. There we go. There we go. Oh, so, Ken, that is the uh, the main characters. But wait, yeah. it's oh. not just the main Rogue One team who died. It's almost everyone we met. <laughs> we got uh, Saw Gerrera, uh, pretty confirmed dead. Admiral Raddus, uh, presumed. Uh, I'm not going to commit to it. Uh, Orson Krennic, uh, Galen and Urso and Lyra Urso, pretty clear. Vistan. Uh, oh. wonderful space monkey, presumed dead. I got some headcanon. I think you do too. Borgullet, presumed dead. Many, many rebel pilots and, and soldiers. You could list many other characters, but those are some of the other, uh, you know, they're not the main Rogue One team, but it is really amazing to think almost all of these characters did not make it out of this first standalone film. So, mm-hmm. Ken, out of all these characters... Which ones do you think are going to live on as major Star Wars characters? And, and who do you want to live on? Who do you want to see more of? I'll tell you what. I, I think the appreciation for Saw Gerrera should, and can, should, I hope, continue to get 
bigger and better. Clone War fans were so excited. It's a great example. It's often cited as, hey, you have a character. We have a character that fits that role. Once you ch- tap into Sagrera and, and and George, this was a this was kind of a George uh, a sponsored character. Like he really liked what Saw represented it. And then I go to Forrest Whitaker, who you know uh, I've just always been a fan of. He's you know old old time filmy fans like us know him. And 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 having Star Wars, and yeah, it's tiny, it's weird, but I love every weird choice he he made. I love everything about it. I love every him swallowing some of his words, you know, he's, 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 he's got a lot going on and, and his voice is, is and the way he just speaks and the way he moves, the way he breathes. And he, again, I, I, he more and more, you go, go to the Clone War episodes, uh, go to the stuff in Rebels where Forrest Whitaker's like, hell yes, I'm coming back. Character. <laughs> I really love this. And he is, uh, of, um, uh, the, the video Fallen Order, mm-hmm. uh, great stuff in fallen order. And there's already some stuff that people like questioning what he's doing. He represents a lot of great, wonderful discussion around the rebellion. The, the feud between him and Mothma is wrestling level. It could be a main event of WrestleMania, just the philosophy of how to rebel. Um, it's important. And, and, and again, I just last view and it really just, you know, he represents, you could say even like the Vader of it all. Right. Uh, you know, he's, he's absolutely. A lot of machines. He's having trouble breathing. It's he's in kind of an armor. There's a lot of that there too, and some parallels, like you said. On there isn't much of me left. Yeah, yeah. There's much, but I, again, just to, to know that all of our characters are like being all of our characters, other than Cassian, but even Cassian's, you know, killing Tivik, and it's like you're you're sacrificing, you're giving up a piece of yourself, and and here's this poster child for it, and then we see this this powerful moment. I love the moment where he's like, "No, I'm not going with you." Save the rebellion, save the dream, and I've had people, uh, you know, you know, remember, especially back in the day, this, you know, oh, why didn't he go? Why didn't he go? Yeah, 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 yeah no, you know, he could have gone, but he he given he'd given up so much of himself. There was none left. It was no longer he could not go on, and that's part of it. He was that that's part of the loss, and that's what all these characters have in the back of their head. Uh, am I am I'm joining this fight? And am I going to give up my my ability to breathe on my own, my ability to to walk on my own? Am I going to give up my own life? Am I give up, going to give up my continue to give up my family like he did with his sister? There's so much there that he represents. I think he's a real powerful character uh, that can be overlooked because you could stop on what was up with his hair or <laughs> his voice. And, you know, and again, Forrest Whitaker made some I, I thought some wonderful choices of a broken a broken leader, a broken hero, a broken fighter, and what what that really means to for all of our characters. Yeah, I, I think that there's a reason that that saw Guerrera, you know, lives outside of of just Rogue One. That's obviously his big screen uh, presence, you know, obviously introduced in the in the Clone Wars animated series. And as you said, appears in Rebels, appears in Fallen Order, appears in a bunch of books and comics. And he's going to probably appear in more because he he represents what Cassian is wrestling with is, yeah. you know, Cassian's wrestling with the I have made lots of individual horrific choices for the greater good and saw is this picture of in the greater good is so important it's worth anything yeah you know and I think that's what you know you talk about the gray area and and, and I talk really in complimentary ways about that idea of you know let's not be Nora Jabell and when when something truly yeah, is right. awful has happened let's take action but then saw is this great moral balance of you know, what happens when, when you decide you must act, but, but you don't, uh, you, you don't worry as much about, you know, the, the individual actions, which he seems to just justify. 
And I love that it is. Yeah, it's it's the Vader um, mm-hmm. comparison with the literal loss of of you know body parts uh, and clearly some some loss of uh, emotional uh, <laughs> health. But yeah. the 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 story that's going on there is that he believe his his life is a warrior has led him to this place where he's extinguished the reasons to fight. Mm. He's nothing but fear and paranoia. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, that's, what's so powerful about it is it's, it's not just uh, his bold, weird choices that I really like, you know, as an actor um, to show that it's the fact that that's what's happening in the plot. The reason uh, this is not going smoothly uh, for Bodhi or Cassian or anybody else is because he, he has sort of become what he's fighting. He's just, motivated by fear and paranoia you know mm. um and i think what's so powerful about him stopping is to me it goes back to that baton of hope it's yeah it's maybe the practical thing of like yeah maybe he's not gonna make it to the ship if he if he runs with Jen. but far far more important to me is this utter fear this loss of humanity this paranoia that he's been living with uh i think some of that gets lifted from him when Jin sees the message and he sees that spark of hope reignite in her you know, and I think that's the power of, you know, save the rebellion, save the dream. He trusts that he's passed on that yeah. baton to Jen in that he he's done what he needs to do. Totally. Uh, yeah. He represents so much to me. I mean, can you imagine you're sitting in a room with this guy and he's like, you don't believe in the cause? And I'd be like, no, look what it's done to you. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't look like a great cause. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So many great perspectives on on that. Uh, yeah. So Saw definitely there for me. You and I have both talked a lot about uh, I love what Krennic represents is mm-hmm. uh, just the middle manager who is, you know, just really wants his glory within the structure and just kind of like, well, what are you going to do? It's the world. It's the government. That's the way we do things. And you can either benefit by it or, or not. And I'm, I'm going to get, you know, my social standing and I'm going to eat at the nicest places and yeah. sit at the important table at Imperial meetings. It's that, that energy is so powerful. So great. A, a dark side version of, of uh, bringing it to the real world. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the utter power of Radis being the, the character who has the spirit, to contrast Nora Jabal and say, nope, let's fight. Uh, oh, they went, well, I'm going too. Here we go. Um, yeah. Absolutely great. But for me, I think out of all these characters who I'd want to see more of is Lyra Urso. I think she's the one who has the actual most storytelling potential. Yeah. And not not most, I should say, because a lot of these characters are explored and they'll they'll be explored other places. They're great Krennic stories to tell. So I take back the yeah. most. Uh, the the teases that we get in Catalyst, more than teases, of her as this really adventurous person who is force aware that she can kind of feel shifts in energy and she knows and believes that that's the force, but she can't touch it. She can't manipulate it. Uh, it doesn't obey her commands. But just that little bit of like, I'm force aware and it's partially because my whole life is about finding and respecting the, the kyber crystals. That's some great storytelling, right? That could happen as, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who is, out of the greatest respect, searching for Kyber. Yeah, I, I tell you, Lyra. You know, I, I was. Re- I love the cold open of Rogue One. I really do. And though I do, I, I lament the the loss of of another mother character in Star Wars, or just popular storytelling. We've talked about a lot. Uh, Jen Landa has talked about that in a wonderful way before as well. But I still love that opening. I still love what it represents to that story. So I love that 
Catalyst exists. Catalyst, Galen and Lear is one of the best just kind of real world look at relationships <laughs> in Star Wars. It's so good. Uh, worth a revisit. But yeah, a little bit more. You, you know, young Lear on the hunt for crystals and there's some real uh, potential there too. Yeah. And when I say more storytelling, you know, I, I don't need everything to be a Disney Plus show. I'd be happy with that being a Disney Correct. Plus show. But, you know, we, there's just so many, so many uh, different possibilities for storytelling. You know, uh, give me the Lyra Urso video game. <laughs> and she's out there collecting Kyber and running into trouble, you know. Yeah, like the Star Wars, like truly a Star Wars Tomb Raider-esque game, but, <laughs> but even better. And more, yeah, with Lyra. I love that. Yeah, instead of Tomb Raider, it can be Kyber Respector. That'll sell. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Any other thoughts on uh, on all of those uh, other characters who uh, we we met? Uh, yeah. Well, saw we didn't meet, but the, those characters of Rogue One who also uh, did not make it out of the film. Any other thoughts you want to share? Uh, you love General Merrick. And, uh, there's a lot of great characters there. I've spent, said so much on Radis over the years, but I, I, I one of the things that I really picked up on this, uh, focused on this last viewing this this weekend. Was you know when when the the text yelling you know you know mon 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 and well let me speak to Abiratus he's gone the look on Genevieve O'Reilly's face is mon moth over that smile and that like yeah of course Radis left and of course we needed him too and God bless it we're in a war and let's go do this like it's a great little moment and speaks to why 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 I just love Radis and and a lot of the stuff around him. Yeah, yeah, and I love that uh, the legacy of Star Wars can be seen more storytelling of characters after they pass. Uh, legacy can be uh, uh, fans like us uh, getting real excited by somebody like Raddus, and then sometimes legacy can be in the storytelling. Right, that right away that next movie, uh, the the ship is named Raddus in Last Jedi, and you know that the characters in the galaxy uh, love Raddus as much as we do. Is nice to know. Uh, final question, Ken. Do you ever want a Rogue Two where we follow the Bothans who died to get the information about the second Death Star? Uh, yes, and only to to just finally get it out of the way and maybe end the jokes and memes and all those things. <laughs> the old ones. And to answer the question where now it's uh, deliciously vague on are the Bothans a, a species or the Bothans a group? We uh, I don't know. There's been some. Remember Matt Martin tweeted something out where, you know, they maybe don't assume that there. So um, I, I could see it there. I know it might cause some eye rolls, but I don't care. Uh, that's what I'm here for as a Star Wars fan. Just give me the stories I want. Yeah, no, I think uh, it, it's been fun over the years in, in this era of Star Wars storytelling for, uh, I think, you know, different writers have have shared like, yeah, I want to do something with the Bothans. And like, no, no, let's uh, let's hold off. It makes me feel like, you know, someday there is, there is a plan for the Bothans. Yeah. And I think... You know, to, to, it's fun to joke about Rogue too. It's fun to joke about the Bothans, but I think maybe you know a reason that 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 does keep coming up and people want to answer that is because that line in Return of the Jedi and the way it is uh, delivered has such great weight and punch. Of many Bothans died to bring us this information, but that sentence that that's a great summary of Rogue One. You know, this isn't literally the story of the Bothans, but this is the story of those people who came before and did really hard things and made a sacrifice so this next step can happen. Totally, totally. Uh, worth exploring. Absolutely worth exploring. Uh, Ken, do you have any other uh, final wrap-up questions on our, our look back at the bravery of Rogue One? No, once again, we always start an episode going, hey, this might, we might get through this one kind of quick. And then <laughs> I just kind of knew, I, 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 
I remember you, we, we, you pitched this topic and I say, that's great. And I had back in my head, I was like, I probably, I don't need to watch Rogue One again. I've seen it enough. I can, I can have this conversation. And I'm getting to do it. I just was moved beyond belief, uh, beyond my own expectations on a Sunday afternoon following my taxes. Um, and, and, um, yeah, just love the love this film and love that it's not just stood the test of time. It's perhaps growing uh, under uh, the test of time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And uh, I, I was the one who was like, yeah, no, I mean, I, I wrote up the questions and, and I took some out to make sure, well, this, you know, this will be 90 <laughs> minutes. Uh, so in the spirit of brevity, the final thing for me to say is I think one of the great things about Rogue One is uh, I'm a big believer in the idea of things being more than the sum of their parts um, mm -hmm. or, or to mix metaphors. Uh, sometimes you're playing all the notes, but there isn't music. You know, I really believe that when something really works, all the parts come together and become something more uh, than themselves. So I think that for me, that's why I can go like, yeah, poor gullet is kind of a Chekhov's gun and make a joke about it or uh, nitpick about, you know, how I would have wanted maybe a little bit more in this scene or that scene. But ultimately, those things don't matter because Rogue One is is so much more than the sum of its parts. It, it The individual ideas that we talked about all add up to this thing that has this just great weight and power and thrill and charm. And that's ultimately what I what I want to celebrate about Rogue One. A lot of brave choices uh, led to something that is really powerful and much more than the sum of its parts, in my opinion. Absolutely. All right. You want to tell people where uh, they can find us, Ken? I would love to. You can follow us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We're on Instagram, YouTube as well. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. You can listen to us on Anchor or iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon Music, or Spotify. Don't forget Spotify if you're a user over there. Merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. We got our own fights in the galaxy going on. You can follow mine at Kednapsock or Kednapsock.com. For you, Joseph. Yeah, you can follow me Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw, and you can check out my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all of my other comedy adventures. And uh, sometimes we highlight things. I'll highlight again a thing that I've mentioned in the past. Uh, there's a service called ResistBot. It is a very quick text-based uh, service uh, where you can send a very quick, easy message to your reps and let them know what you care about. You can be the opposite of Noah Jabel with uh, ResistBot, and I think that's great. That is our episode, a big look back at Rogue One. Uh, so for now, for myself, for Ken, for the Borg Gullet, this has been Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.